Welcome again to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, the Fiction Category Manager at Booktopia, and this is a podcast, part of a series of conversations that we've been having in celebration of Crime Month, our very imaginatively named extravaganza of all things crime and thriller at Booktopia, which I'll tell you a little bit more at the end of this chat. Uh, but first, we're going to introduce our guest. Um, today, I'm speaking to Gabriel Bergmoser, um, an award-winning Melbourne-based author and playwright. His debut thriller, The Hunted, is out at the end of July, and Gabe has been kind enough to join me over Skype to tell me a little bit about it and talk all things crime. Gabe, how are you doing down there in Melbourne? Are you sanitised and socially distant? Uh, yes, uh, both of those things. I'm locked in my room, but to be fair, that's not, like, wildly abnormal for me anyway, so... Oh, good. So, yeah, you know, it's um not leaving the house is, is fairly par for the course. Excellent, because, you know, you're coping. Um, your debut crime novel, your thriller, um, it has a premise a little bit like a Quentin Tarantino film. You know, there's an old bloke with a dark past running a roadhouse in the middle of the scrub, the middle of nowhere, um, joined by some out-of-place backpackers, and literally all hell breaks loose. Um, can you briefly describe this terrifying book of yours and, and what inspired you to write it? Right. So essentially, I guess the elevator pitch of The Hunted is exactly like you said, uh, older guy lives in the middle of nowhere, service station, has been there for a while. You get the sense that he's kind of running away from something. He's got his young granddaughter staying with him for the first time, and, and they don't really relate to each other at all. They've never really met before. It's it's very, very awkward, very uncomfortable. A couple of backpackers stop past. It's sort of a lazy afternoon. And then out of nowhere, this car comes careening up the front. A girl steps out covered in mud and blood. And the only thing she says before she passes out is don't call the police. And that launches us into a siege story where essentially this disparate group of characters are stuck in this closed off claustrophobic location with this injured woman and they have no idea what she's been through. They have no idea who she is. They have no idea whether she's, you know, what, what side she's on. And as night falls, the headlights approach from all directions and they are stuck in there having to decide, do we hand this person over to the people who are hunting her or do we fight and protect her despite not knowing who she is? So the book's also interspersed with flashbacks to uh, to kind of a, a former timeline that fills in the blanks of what actually happened in the lead up to this girl arriving at the roadhouse. And it kind of alternates between those two until about the midpoint of the book where everything comes together. And from then on, it's, it's basically relentless violence, carnage, gore, and death right up until the final pages. So so I, I love that you mentioned Quentin Tarantino because, you know, it, it's it, this is a bit weird because I, I went to film school and there's there's a little bit of like snobbery among screenwriters towards Tarantino sometimes. Yeah. Like it's sort I of like, you know, the, the, yeah. this yeah, you know, it's that stereotypical, oh, you know, wannabe wannabe film writers, you know, love Quentin Tarantino and we're all above that. I'm so not above that. I adore Quentin Tarantino. I I love most of his films. Uh the releases are real events to me. And he's been one of my biggest influences all along, you know, and and in in a weird way, not not just because of like the hyper violence I guess, that is exhibited in his filmmaking. But what I love about Quentin Tarantino is that he has this really underrated skill of threading 
little touches of very believable, empathetic humanity throughout all of the chaos and carnage of his films. I mean, Kill Bill ultimately is about a woman being reunited with her daughter. Inglorious Bastards is packed full of these just tiny, subversive little notes from all of the characters where you sort of realize, no, these these actually aren't caricatures. There are these, these little quirks and these little vulnerabilities, and they only come through in select moments. But, but that has always really inspired me. And I also kind of look at somebody like Martin McDonough, who is one of my absolute writing heroes, who wrote uh, In Bruise, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. He's also a, a very highly esteemed playwright. Uh, his play, The Beauty Queen of Inane, his very first play actually is one of, it's probably my all-time favorite play and definitely one of the best things I've ever read and and seen in my life on stage. And he does something similar where he combines, you know, uh, uh, humanity and pathos and heart with sometimes extreme and shocking violence. So that was definitely something that, you know, I was I was trying to to find in The Hunted, particularly with the relationship between Frank, the roadhouse owner, and his granddaughter Ali. But, you know, beyond that, I was very influenced by by, you know, a lot of the a lot of the gritty horror survival thrillers that I grew up with. You know, there's there's a bit of Jaws in there, there's a bit of, you know, Psycho in there. There's obviously some Assault on Precinct 13. Uh the film Green Room, if anyone's seen that from a few years ago, about a punk rock band who end up stuck in the green room of a neo-Nazi venue and have to sort of survive the night against against these people. That was definitely in my mind as I was working on it. So so essentially it's it's a mashup of different influences of things that at various points in my life I've just found very exciting. Good. <laughs> it's a nice homage to a lot of stuff. Um, you mentioned film school. Now you're you're a young novelist, but uh, you have a very rich resume game. Um, You've been heavily awarded for writing uh, for both screen and stage, um, and you've published a YA novel, Boone, uh, Boone Shepherd. Uh, is this move into the world of thrillers uh, direction um, that you'd like to stay in, or are you going to continue to exercise your multi-talented brain in, in different directions? Um, I, I would love to stay eclectic, I think. I mean... This is uh, this isn't probably hyper common knowledge yet, but my my very next novel, which comes out in March, The True Color of Little White Lights, also with Harper Collins, that is that could not be more wildly divorced from not only The Hunted but also Boone Shepherd. I mean, it's basically a a YA coming of age story about a teenage boy learning empathy. You know, it's very gentle, it's very sensitive, right. it's very emotional. You know, it, it's a vastly different sort of uh, uh, text in a lot of ways, and. I think, you know, if I look at the things that have influenced me the most, I mean, there's all the aforementioned talk of Tarantino and thrillers and everything, but I'm also a huge fan of, you know, Tintin and Lemony Snicket, and those were the influences that really fed into Boone Shepherd a lot. And I grew up adoring John Marsden and all of his work, and I think nobody, probably nobody that I can think of has ever written better for teenagers than him. And I think there's a lot of, that's kind of something I'm trying to find in, in my new YA writing is that that honest sensitivity and empathy that he used to write so beautifully with. So I look, I want to keep writing thrillers. This is a part of my, I guess, part of my personality and my artistic sensibility that I would love to keep flexing. I had an absolute blast writing The Hunted. I hopefully all going well would love to keep writing more books in this series like following one of the key characters who sort of rides off into the sunset at the end of the book and i i would love to sort of keep those books in this fast-paced pulpy violent vein 
but I definitely want to, I want to keep writing for the stage. I would love to write for screen more and I would love to sort of keep moving between, you know, the, the quirky adventure stuff that you saw in Boone Shepherd, the YA uh, sort of coming of age stuff that we're seeing, well, hopefully we will see soon in True Colour of Little White Lie and this thriller stuff as well. And hopefully, you know, I'd love to write a fantasy. I'd love to write a sci-fi. I'd oh, love wow. to, you know, I'd love to basically write whatever people will let me write before they stop buying my books. And even saying that is <laughs> premature because in the case of The Hunted at the time of recording, people have not really started buying yet. So fingers crossed. Uh, well, we have a website for that. Um, uh, it's great. Uh, you're going to keep yourself very busy, Gabe. Um, the publisher's blurb on, on this novel uh, describes it as a white-knuckled suspense matched with uh, fast-paced adrenaline of a Jack Reacher novel and the creeping menace of Wake in Fright. Uh, do you have a soft spot for Wake in Fright or any other Australian uh, film or novels for that matter? Can I admit something terrible? Yeah, go on. I've never seen Wake in Fright. Oh, it's and great. Go and uh, go I know, and get it. I know. And it's in your local the, library. As a, <laughs> I, as a cinema buff and as a film student, it's one of the worst things I think I could admit, but like, I've never seen Wake and Fright, and also, more probably more surprisingly, I've never seen Wolf Creek either, which is like, the other big comparison that kept coming up for The Hunted, but I, I don't necessarily right. think that that's a bad thing, because you know, I mean, Wake and Fright is so iconic, and, and so is Wolf Creek, you know, where we're talking about the, the, the sun-drenched, kind of blistered, burnt-out landscapes, and the ramshackle little towns and rest stops, and the image of, the, the famous image in Wake and Fright of, like, the, the ragged, tattered guy walking through this burnt-out landscape. I mean, all of that was in my mind for The Hunted, and I think it's, the, the imagery is so ubiquitous that sort of, I guess, by osmosis, you can't help but have it in your mind the moment you're, you're writing something of this nature but i actually think in the grand scheme of things it's probably for the best that i didn't read or watch wake of wake and fright while i was actually working on the hunted like i would i would love to sort of check it out now and i will now that the book's sort of written and it's out of the way and i can't be unduly influenced by it uh but but no like you know i i think um I, I was definitely influenced a lot by and it's it's a different type of of thriller writing but what Jane Harper manages to do with landscapes, when I first read The Dry and then went on to devour Force of Nature and uh, and The Lost Man, I don't think I'd ever really read anyone who who characterized the Australian landscape the way that Jane Harper does. And she brings it to life in a way where whether it's the, you know, the the droughts blighted town that you see in the dry or the dense endless forest that's in force of nature or just the the huge long isolated you know the, the plains of just nothing for for kilometers on end that characterize the lost man i mean jane harper does a really great job of making her settings kind of the main character in her books and she brings them to life so vividly that even if you've never been to those places you kind of finish those books feeling like you have been and feeling like you understand it and she she creates such a sense of of menace and danger and and isolation and sadness through her landscape descriptions and that i think in terms of the the particular setting and feel of the hunted was maybe my biggest influence uh because i i am a very very big fan of jane harper's work and i think what she does is amazing and setting has never really been my strong suit so part of writing this book was i guess challenging myself to to try and at least do something similar to what jane harper does so well interesting yeah i mean jane 
is uh, just the queen, isn't she? And, Absolutely. Um, she has a new book coming. It's going to be fantastic as well. Um, what about true crime? Do you dabble in true crime at all? Uh, yeah, a little bit more in kind of, you know, your podcasts, like, uh, like Serial. I was, I was very, very obsessed with Serial. I was, uh, very into S-Town as well, which I guess was kind of the follow-up to Serial. Uh, Teacher's Pet, obviously, I, I got very caught up in, like, a lot of those true crime podcasts I've really enjoyed, but no, I've never been, like, a heavy true crime reader. Like, like, I've read a couple here and there, but it's, it's not... It's not so much my thing, and I think partly that's because I am such a such a voracious crime reader. And I mean, my my one of my biggest early influences was Thomas Harris and Red Dragon. I mean, I can point to you know maybe five or six different books or films that I've consumed at different points that totally changed my understanding of what storytelling could be. And Red Dragon was one of them. You know, it was a book that I read and I put down, and I was just like, I didn't realize that a story could do this or could go there or could explore the territory that it explores so beautifully. And I still think Red Dragon is probably the greatest crime novel of all time, at least the greatest one that I've ever read. But I I guess I'm reminded of this anecdote from the filming of Silence of the Lambs where Scott Glenn, who played Jack Crawford, the FBI chief in that film, he worked very closely with John Douglas, who was the real inspiration for that character, who was the I think that the head of that division of the FBI that was explored and depicted in Thomas Harris's books and John Douglas was also the inspiration for the TV show Mindhunters that's on uh, Netflix at the moment. And during, I guess, the research process for it, John Douglas showed Scott Glenn these tapes that he had of of a genuine murder that, he, that he'd been investigating. And he basically sent them home with Scott Glenn and was like, I want you to listen to these. And so Scott Glenn listens to them and he comes back and He's spoken at length about how it changed him as a person. Like listening to this absolutely transformed him on a fundamental level. Like he'd never heard anything like it. It shook him to the core. It thoroughly disturbed him. He couldn't sleep afterwards. And it's the reason he actually didn't come back for any of the other Hannibal Lecter films because he just didn't want to go back into that place. But anyway, he went back to John Douglas and he gave him back the tapes and he said, why, why did you make me listen to that? And John Douglas just very simply said, well, now you live in my world. And the belief was that the only way that he could truly understand what he was exploring and the world he was delving into was to actually have that experience of what what real horror is like. Now, my approach to writing horror and to writing crime and to reading it as well is that I like it to be a bit fun. Like, I don't particularly enjoy horror films that that are really genuinely harrowing, like Hereditary, for example, was something I saw and it just absolutely shook me to the core. And I I totally stand by the filmmaker's right to explore that, but it's not the kind of horror or thriller I really enjoy. You know, for example, yeah. like I really like reading like Lucy Foley. Uh, I discovered her earlier in the lockdown and I devoured both of her books and they're really fun page turning, gripping whodunits. But if you actually take away the authorial intent and you look at the heart of really any crime novel, you know, murder is horrible. And what, like, like murder with intent and the kind of violence that I'm depicting in The Hunted is absolutely horrific. And I tend to find that true crime in a way that maybe illustrates my own willful ignorance or naivety brings the reality of it home in a way that I find really uncomfortable. And I think that the more that I would be confronted with that reality, the harder I would find to write it in a way that would be enjoyable. 
Right. Um, the Hunted has been optioned for uh, screen ad- adaptation. Uh, are you able to talk about that at all at this stage, or is that yeah, very I'm gonna, early days? I'm going to tread carefully with it, because there is some stuff that's gone on that hasn't been announced yet that I've, I'm fortunate enough to be privy to. But um, so what I can say is that the everything is going really, really well with the film. So it's still looking like they want to shoot this year. Uh, I think in a weird way, um, COVID kind of has, has almost helped a little bit. I mean, now that we're sort of going back into lockdown, who can say? But I think it sort of moved up the slate a bit because not that long ago, it was looking like they would be able to film in Australia before they would be able to film in the States. And the Hunted film will be made in Australia. It will be, for all intents and purposes, an Australian film, albeit one that's been made by an American company with American money. Um, The director who was attached to the film, I am such a massive fan of. Like, working with him has has I believe really elevated the text and it's just that frustrating thing where he'll come to me with ideas for the script where I go oh god I wish I'd thought of that for the book that's so good (laughs) um so so you know that that is kind of um yeah that that's exciting but at the same time you sort of look at the book and you go man I wish I'd use that but um yeah he's he totally understands the book loves the book has brought so much to to this story and to these characters and has taught me new things about my own characters that I didn't expect to learn so that part's been really exciting uh so the screenplay I've actually written the screenplay but with a lot of input from the director so I think as it currently stands it, it definitely will be the presented I guess combined vision of both of us in a way that I think is really exciting and is very true to the spirit of the book. Uh, look, whether it does shoot this year, I, I don't know at this point. The casting conversations is currently where it's at. So all going well, we'll have some big, exciting announcements about who's going to be playing these characters in the not-too-distant future. But uh, look, at this point, I mean, I've I've sort of had a little bit of experience in doing the rounds in LA before and sort of being in a position where I guess I, I, I've i been placed to believe wholeheartedly that something is going to happen and is going to happen quickly and then it never does. So as excited as I am by the film process and as optimistic as I am, I won't believe it until I see it, you know? Yeah, But, you know, in terms of where it currently sits, it's in a really great place. Everything's looking really positive and there's no reason at this stage to believe that it won't go ahead soon and it won't be really, really cool. And I think it will... I think it will complement the book in a lot of ways while being quite different to the book in ways that might surprise people, but very true to the spirit of it. I'm thrilled for you. That sounds so cool. Um, how, how do you hope this, you know, it's your first thriller novel. How do you hope it will be received in general? Oh, I mean, I, I hope that people like it, um, Good. Which, which feels like a very simplistic thing to say. But, but I guess at a certain point, you know, it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to gauge because, you know, you, you go through so many edits and so many rewrites. And this story has been bouncing around in my head in one version or another for so long now that you can't see it clearly anymore. And, you know, I, I pick up the I've got copies of the finished book now and I pick them up and I flick through them and it just sort of leaves me sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, I don't know if that's good or not. Or does that line suck or is that bad or should I have written something else for that? And and you sort of just get to a point where I, I don't think I'll be able to see The Hunted with any clarity for, you know, for probably a good couple of years at this point. Yeah. But I'm 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 really hoping that it lands for people. I'm really hoping that, you know, people enjoy it. Uh, I, I don't think and maybe this sort of speaks a little bit to what I was saying before about true crime, but like, I don't think that 
I, I would hope that people don't take it too seriously. Like I've seen a couple of reviews coming in from people who are who are quite horrified by the violence and quite genuinely disturbed by a couple of moments in it. And and that's fair enough. You know, everyone has a different response to these things. I'm somebody who obviously enjoys horror films, so I'm able to be a little bit desensitized and just kind of see it as a particularly macabre roller coaster and that was sort of what i was hoping to achieve with the hunted but to in, in that tarantino way i was suggesting earlier to, to infuse it with a bit of heart and humanity and characters who hopefully you can care about and i really hope that that's what people see and that that's what people enjoy but if they don't you know i mean there's not a hell of a lot you can do about it you just sort of hope that it's received positively and once it's out in the world you just have no control over how people see it or how people respond to it and you've got to be okay with that yeah good it's a good place to be in um, I want to ask, there's, there's been a, a real surge in Australian, particularly rural Australian um, crime and thriller over the past few years. Um, there's been some great talents. You mentioned Jane Harbour, but also Chris Hammer and Candace Fox, who are um, selling massive quantities of books, not just here, but into the international market. Um, do you have thoughts on what might be driving that demand for homegrown stuff? Um, apart from having uh, callously capitalised on it in writing The Hunted, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I think that maybe in some ways it's, it's the combination of the particularly unique setting of our landscape, which does invite a certain, a certain menace and a certain tone and a certain sense of mystery that that I think is, you know, is, is very unique and very singular to Australia. And combining that with the with the structure of a whodunit or a thriller or or a crime novel, I, I guess stands out in a way that maybe speaks to people. And if you're looking at authors like Chris Hammer or Jane Harper, who are so particularly skilled at creating a setting and making you feel like you were there, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of reviews have said this before, but, you know, you read The Dry and, or you read Scrublands and you can pretty much taste the dust in your mouth and you can feel the heat slamming down on you and you know the 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 kind of burning tarmac sort of coming up through your shoes all, all of that is so beautifully evoked by all of those authors who you mentioned and I don't know I, I guess it maybe is just one of those things where a bunch of really brilliant writers have started exploring this around the same time and it's it's just kind of a beautiful coincidence but you know it's probably I I really don't know I really couldn't speak to that Apart from to say that, you know, I think people like seeing themselves on screen. And I think, you know, I mean, I, th I think back to when I was a kid and I read Tomorrow When the War Began. And, you know, as somebody who grew up in a small country town that was very similar to Wirrawee, the town depicted in those books, I really loved kind of seeing country kids get to be heroes and getting to sort of see a setting that was reminiscent of my hometown because we didn't see a lot of that. And I thought that was really, really cool. So I don't know. I think in Australia, we, we sort of thrill towards our landscape and our culture being depicted in a way that that isn't you know the crocodile dundee kind of tongue-in-cheek throw a shrimp on the barbie way but is sort of taken more seriously and is more mature and is more interesting but but that's that's probably the and, and that's me thinking out loud you know that's probably a, a vague succession of half-formed thoughts that you'll probably have to edit down to not very much but that, that's what i've got i love it um finally uh what are you what are you filling your time with um during the time of Corona, um, you've got all these different projects on the go. I imagine that's keeping you busy in different directions. Um, uh, what are you doing to stay sane? Uh, jigsaw puzzles. I've become really, really obsessed with jigsaw puzzles. And I didn't think I would. It was never something I had considered or, or like 
or thought might be like a hobby that I would particularly enjoy. But at the start of the lockdown, my aunt in Canberra sent me this jigsaw puzzle. And I remember pick, opening the package and being like, why would you think? What, when have I ever expressed interest in? But then sort of one afternoon, I guess, feeling like I had to at least make a go of it, I opened it up and I haven't looked back. I've done about like six of them now. And I just keep going wow. through them and sort of just like sitting up at the table till like two in the morning, obsessing over which piece goes where. But I don't know. I, I think it's, I, I feel weird saying this, but I kind of think it's a really great, sort of mental health mindfulness thing because it sort of focuses you and it, you know, you you clear your mind and you just focus on this one thing and there's there's immense satisfaction to finding the right piece. And I found that, you know, I guess ever since I reached a place in my life where writing has been my job and has been my livelihood, I've sort of been casting around looking for a hobby because I'm not, you know, I'm no longer writing in stolen minutes between my day job. And I miss that a little bit if I'm being honest, because there was a thrill to that. But uh, but now I, I think, you know, jigsaw puzzles have weirdly become this thing that has become a real sort of staple of my link, my, you know, my enduring sanity during the time of Corona. But, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm working heaps, you know, I'm still, I, I work from home anyway, so it hasn't made a huge amount of difference in, in those ways. But, uh, but yeah, I think finding, finding non-creative pursuits to, to distract your mind or to help clear your mind at the end of what can be quite hectic working days, I think is really important for anyone, you know, and, and for me that funnily enough is jigsaw puzzles. Somehow perfectly fits with the macabre mind of a horror thriller writer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Speaking as a, like, as a hardcore obsessive went to every film on opening night, Saw fan, I'm totally okay with that. Good. Um, Gabriel Bergmoser, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Gabriel's thriller, The Hunted, is published by HarperCollins and is a featured book in Crime Month at Booktopia. It's uh, one of a great collection of handpicked favourites, for which we've applied an extra discount to over the month of July. Uh, Aussie residents who order The Hunted or any of those featured books by July 31st will be in the running to win the Ultimate Sloop Pack, which is over $800 worth of new books. Um, to shop those top picks, as well as uh, have a squeeze at guest-curated selections from the likes of Devil McTiernan and Christian White, go to booktopia.com today. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.